Welcome to Taiwan Report, a deep dive into issues impacting Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith. All right, now this is a serious deep dive, so let's jump right in. Well, the race for KMT chair has been turned on its head. After the first debate, which I discussed in parts three and four, the situation was essentially that Eric Chu, or Eric Ju, Ju Liluan, was the presumed frontrunner and had been directing his attacks and energies toward heading off Johnny Chang, or, ja, or Jiang Jitsen, who appeared to be nipping at his heels. Zhuo Boyun was essentially a non-entity, but the guy I referred to as a gadfly in the first of the series, Zhang Yazhong, had done shockingly well in some admittedly dodgy online polls prior to the debate. Now, after the first debate, some semi-serious polls came out, which show, showed Zhang Yazhong pulling a strong second behind Zhu Liluan or Eric Zhu, with Johnny Chang in third and Zhuo Boyuan still basically not registering. One TVBS poll even had Zhang in first place. Now, these polls have some problems. First, KMT polling KMT members is a bit tricky. Second, they mostly seemed from biased sources. And third, there are large numbers of undecideds. But these polls and a sudden surge in press interest showed a clear surge in support for Zhang. But why? Zhang has long been considered, well, a gadfly within the KMT, and even a bit of an odd character in the deep blue pro-unification wing of the party. Every few years, he comes out with another pro-unification plan with a catchy name, like One China, Three Constitutions, or Two Sides of the Strait, Common Unity, or in a close play on one country's two systems, he once advocated one country, two governments, and those are just some of his formulas. He has always been deeply pro-unification to such a degree it is a wonder he isn't in the new party. He's an ex-professor who currently heads up the KMT's Sun Yat-sen School and was a big influence on Hong Shouju's aborted presidential run in 2015. He has run for KMT chair and ran in the last KMT presidential primary and both times got totally crushed. He barely registered. So why is he suddenly hot now? The most likely reasons are pretty simple, starting with the obvious. Up through the first debate, Eric Zhu and Johnny Chang sounded almost identical, and neither came across as particularly sincere. Neither had a terribly successful run during their terms as KMT chair, though to be fair, both took over at particularly tough times for the party. They're both seasoned politicians, and it's very obvious. Zhang Yazhong is anything but. He's a deeply committed ideologue, passionate, blunt, and sincere. He has a good delivery and good voice, honed by years of experience lecturing, and delivered his performance at the first debate with some punch, which either came across as righteously indignant and telling the truth, or simply as a cranky old mainlander, depending on your view of him. So let's say you're a KMT member, and the press is feeding you two options that are essentially slick political peas in a pod, as Ju and Jiang are. Then a guy who is deeply passionate about the KMT comes along speaking with sincerity. So a lot of people in the KMT who weren't impressed or disagreed with Ju and Jiang bolted to what appeared to be the only viable alternative, Jiang. 
Plus, there are still a fair number of deep blues in the party, and a big block of mainlanders who will naturally gravitate to someone like Jiang if they don't like the alternatives. Plus, Jiang, Johnny Jiang, is full Taiwanese, and Zhu, half Taiwanese. And in the minds of the deep blues, their first Taiwanese leader, former President Li Denghui, betrayed the party and paved the way for the hated DPP to take power. And Jiang specifically came out and trashed both Li and the DPP. He's a speak in their language. Interestingly, they didn't go to the stodgy, dodgy, but ideologically orthodox Zhuo. But then, so far, he's come across as so exciting, he makes Jiang and Zhu look like movie stars. So suddenly, Jiang Yajong became a media darling. There were some weird incidents with Zhang claiming a source of five million U.S. dollars and waving around sample checks with the NT dollars scribbled out and the U.S. dollars handwritten in and somehow managed to infuriate his erstwhile comrade-in-arms, Hong Xiuju, with allegations of money still left over from her time as party chair. She went on the counterattack and said Zhang's personality wasn't suitable for KMT chair and that he was too subjective. Calls rose, probably originating in the Jew camp, to dump Jiang and support Jew to head off the threat and unite the semi-reformist side of the party. Then, on September 17th, Eric Jew on a talk show referred to Jiang Yajong as a red unificationist scholar, which was a surprising attack from inside the party that seems to play right into the DPP's line that there are red, i.e. pro-Chinese communist elements, in the party. Now, red unificationist is a shorthand for advocating for unification with China on China's terms or advantageous to China's aims. So that brings us up to the second KMT debate on CTI TV that was broadcast online. This is by far the weirdest debate I've ever seen. But to be fair, one of the most entertaining. It was held in a small studio in a setting that more resembled a game show than the usual stage and auditorium setup we're used to. The debate itself was also more like a game show with a series of shifting formats that I've never seen anything like before in a debate. For example, one section featured a series of questions from various notables, including some fairly famous figures like a Zhao Shaokang, and Dennis Pung. It forced a series of decisions on the debaters to choose carefully, because each choice came with some political messaging on picking that person's question and risks in what they may ask. Then, once chosen, the candidate had to then declare another candidate that they would also force to answer the same question on, and were given a few minutes to answer before the other chosen candidate had to weigh in. This meant that the candidate had to carefully choose which questioner to get their question from, amusingly shown as videos from the person asking the question, and introduced by the MC as, let's check the VHS before playing the question, and then choose who else to stick that question to, which was yet another strategic decision. There were various other formats along the way, including a weird section involving live questions from viewers that came across as a bit incoherent, and another where they could come up with their own questions and also pass that question or stick it to another candidate. 
And in short, or I should say other candidates, in short, it was designed to force strategic questioning, defensive answers, and offensive assaults within a safely pan-blue context. It was actually fairly entertaining and fairly unpredictable. Not sure it's a particularly dignified setup for civic engagement, but it sure was more fun. And oh my, did the fireworks fly. Before I get into the wild and weird debate that it was, I should note that all the questions, and some of them tough, were almost entirely from a pan-blue perspective. So no questions on the KMT's martial law legacy, for example. It's also important to note that CTI-TV is largely controlled by the Want Want China Times Group, which the Financial Times, from London, citing multiple sources, reported actually receives marching orders direct from China. At one point, they were devoting around 70% of their entire news coverage to Han Guoyu, and any troubles in China or Hong Kong simply never happened in their world. They finally got kicked off cable TV by the national regulator, though they are still on MOD and broadcast via YouTube. Their audience is deep deep blue, bordering on red, a fact that makes what happened in the debate even more shocking and startling than expected. So the candidates were Zhuo Boyuan, who has been staking out a line that could have come out of the mind Joe era unadulterated, but who has been barely noticed. Johnny Jiang, of course, Jiang Jichun, the last KMT chair seeking another term, who started out as a strong reformer, got his ass kicked, and is now trying to win again on a more centrist platform by dropping his previous opposition to things like the 1992 consensus. Jiang Yachong, an old deep pro-unificationist once considered a bit kooky by even the deep blues, but who is now surging in a campaign to bring the KMT back to their roots, to remove the poison of Li Denghui and the DPP, and to sign a peace memorandum of understanding with China during the first few years of his term. And finally, Eric Zhu, the consummate politician whose carefully crafted messages can mean all things to all people and who never, ever takes a firm stand or indeed any risk if he can possibly avoid it, but who is considered genial, likable, and is remembered for doing a pretty good job running Taoyuan and New Taipei. Right from the moment the candidates came out, however, it was clear things were going to go a little unexpected. Zhuo came out in a blue suit and tie, as expected. Jiang appeared in a blue suit and tie, but wearing runners with a black top, but bright white thick soles. In short, the mullet of footwear. But nothing surprising for the relatively youthful Taijong Johnny. Zhang came out professor style in a blue blazer, tan slacks, and blue tie. So far, nothing out of the ordinary. It was the always boring, conservative, risk-averse Eric Jew that was the surprise. LL Cool Jew sauntered out wearing a casual polo shirt, slacks, and runners. Looking like he's just popping out to the nearest seven, not like someone whose political career was on the line. Jiang kicked off the opening statements, pounding away at party unity and making a spirited defense of the 1992 consensus he once tried to get scrapped. 
He cited DPP supporters, the so-called 1450 online army of twisting the 92C into meaning one country, two systems, which is a bit odd since it was Xi Jinping that did that. The DPP simply had to repeat what he said, but CTI, the CTI TV audience might not know that because in their newsroom, China does nothing wrong. He cited Ma's repeat wins and Hang Guoyu's upset win in the Kaohsiung mayoral election to state that the 92C wasn't poison at the polls. He also stated he was willing to hold high-level talks with China. Zhu was, if anything, even more concerned with party unity, saying, quote, the KMT is not very united right now, and pitched himself as the unity candidate. He emphasized beating Taiwan state-building party's Chen Bowei in the upcoming recall and promising to win the elections in 2022 and 2024. He also talked about the KMT's glory and opposed the DPP's Taiwan independence education in local schools. Zhang chose to defend himself, but only after kicking off with stating that Tsai Ing-wen is the source of all chaos. Clearly, after always being ignored, he's not used to a bar- the barrage of criticism coming his way. So he decided to directly address those Kou Maozi attacks. Now, Kou Maozi, or pinning an unfair or untrue label on someone, became the catchphrase of the evening. He responded to four different lines of attack. The first, he said, was he had been labeled the weakest candidate. He then asked who lost the KMT's worst electoral defeat ever in 2016. Obviously, that was a dig at Eric Jew's epic catastrophe in his run for president. He also asked whose party had less than 3% of the members under 40 in an obvious dig at Johnny Jiang. He then asked, who is weak? He then went on to defend against attacks on being a red unificationist and that his followers were all deep blue and that it will split the party. He asked the other candidates rhetorically, if I win, will you all split? Oh, and he trashed Lee Dunghui and the DPP some more. Zhuo said that Han didn't really lose in 2020 after all his total vote count in his presidential run crushed Jews four years earlier, but it was all because the DPP's tricks that Han didn't win. Then it was question time, and Zhu got a question on U.S. relations and said that U.S. and China relations are, quote, equally important and must be balanced. He added that by the end of the year, he would open a KMT office in Washington, which incidentally Jiang has already done the legwork on and apparently has already secured office space for. He said Washington was full of DPP voices and that they need to be taught that the KMT is the party of peace and not at all troublesome. He then punted the question to Zhang, saying since he was so angry, he'd give it to him. Now, Zhang Yajong was pretty clearly pissed at that dig and said, Jew says I'm angry, but I'm not sounding rather angry at the time. And he was unhappy. People in the party were him and it wasn't right. He then cited his 10 years of foreign service and called Jew naive on foreign policy and said it was too expensive and not very productive to set up an office in Washington. And instead he'd work through AIT. 
He might be right on that point. He also said he'd work through Hua Xiao, or overseas Chinese, who are loyal to the party to influence American politics, and stated that because they were U.S. citizens, that would be entirely legal for them to lobby on the KMT's behalf. He also may have a point there. The pro-Taiwan Taiwanese Americans have had some success at doing just that. And, of course, being Zhang, he had to bring up the Tsai's fake London School of Economics thesis conspiracy. He doesn't have a point there unless somehow time travel was involved. He got the next question, which wasn't memorable, and punted it back to Zhu. Zhu then retorted, I'm not Kolmaldza to you by calling you a unificationist. He pounded away at the point that Zhang was pro-unification hard, saying Zhang had been proclaiming it here, overseas, in China, in the U.S., and wouldn't let up. He went on to say, mainstream opinion is people love the ROC, Taiwan, and we all love freedom and democracy. Quote, why do some people doubt Zhang, he asked. He then went on to give example after example after example of all the pro-unification formulas and plans that Zhang had come up with over the years and noted that at one time Zhang had called himself a leader of the unificationists. He then pivoted to only an inclusive party will grow and reiterated there are no light blues, no deep blues, only true blues line. He trashed Zhang for criticizing Li Denghui, accusing him of sounding like the People's First Party, and he then claimed that it was Zhang who was doing the Mao to him. Zhang then pulled out a piece of paper with a scribbled chart on it and gave a long lecture on the 92 consensus because Zhu doesn't understand it, he said, which was about as and his interpretation was about as deep blue in his interpretation as he could have given. And later in the debate, he once again accused Jew of not understanding it and pulled out the same paper and repeated the same lecture. He actually did make a good point, however, that the KMT's line about each side, different interpretations wasn't sustainable and that something new needed to be created though it was pretty clear that whatever he had in mind was more pro-China and presumably tied to his MOU for peace with China. He also bragged about invites he got from Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. In short, he all but made Jews' case for him. Here are some other highlights of the debate. Zhang Yajong, when asked about whether the KMT should drop the Chinese from the Chinese Nationalist Party in the KMT's name, said, quote, It is a place that our revolutionary forefathers spilled blood for, adding that the word does not simply mean the People's Republic of China as, quote, it also means us. We are Chinese. Taiwanese are Chinese, as they are also Taiwanese. Uh, okay. At another point, he said basically, if he's KMT chair, voters will have to choose between war and peace, and his peace MOU with China would bring voters back to the KMT's side. Zhu said that every time he met up with Xi Jinping, he would go out of his way to bring up the both sides' different interpretations part of the 92C, which, of course, the Chinese would never agree to. Johnny Jiang, Jiang Jicheng, called for an original flavor 1992 consensus, noting, 
correctly, that when both sides met in 1992, there was no such thing as the 92 consensus, just a consensus on agreeing to meet and talk. He called for a return to that spirit. So that's just a taste of how it went. Zhu and Zhang were at each other's throats for pretty much the entire debate, to the point that both ran over their time and kept heatedly talking even after their mics were cut. At one point, Zhang pulled out a blown-up picture showing a previous KMT chair speaking at a university in Beijing with just Nationalist Party behind the speaker, without the Chinese part of the name, and vowed to get more respect. Zhu reacted with glee when it was his turn, pulling out a similar blown-up picture showing himself as the guest KMT chair speaking at the same Beijing University with the party's full name and his full title on full display. It was clearly a setup on Zhu's part, and he couldn't contain his obvious gotcha glee, so much so that after he was finished speaking, he ignored the next speaker and pulled out the picture again to show it off to some people in the audience and clearly was having a great time with this excellent diss of Zhang. Zhu was on the attack constantly and quite viciously, nothing like the minor slaps he gave Johnny Zhang when he thought he was the one to beat. In truth, Zhu came across as a bit of a thug, but Zhang's defensiveness and attacks on Zhu didn't come across much better. Zhuo and Jiang kept out of the fray, so much so that they punted their questions politely back and forth to each other. Zhuo made basically no impact, and for most of it, Jiang was pretty nondescript, though by the end he was starting to lose patience with the two squabbling children and started to come across as the adult in the room. So, in short, Eric Jew went totally off the rails, off script, out of his lane, and took big, big risks in spending almost all of his time attacking Jiang Yajong for being a non-mainstream, pro-unification red. He all but kicked over his desk, ripped off his shirt, pointed at Zhang and shouted, I'll unify the party and protect the ROC from this commie-loving sellout. And he did this all on CTI TV. I was stunned, shocked, flabbergasted. This wasn't the Eric Jew we've all grown to yawn and mildly roll our eyes at. The Froze over at the Frozen Garlic blog entitled his excellent piece on, on the debate, Jew Goes Ballistic. Ah, these academics, always going for the understatement. So what the hell was Jew up to? Obviously, he now considers Zhang his prime con competition, which explains a lot. Another possibility, which the froze goes into at length and is very worth reading, is that Zhang represents an existential threat to the party. I'm going to shamelessly steal from Frozen Garlic because he summarized so well I couldn't think of a better way of doing it. But again, there is a lot more to his excellent piece. I highly recommend reading it and have linked to it from Taiwan Report under Must Read. So this is from what he said. The party is happy to talk about the ten golden years or the three principles of the people, and it is happy to go to China and make business deals that enrich everyone. 
However, they are aware, even if they won't admit it out loud, that unification would mean the end of the ROC, and they don't want that to happen. Zhang is among the few in the party who have confronted that problem and, parentheses, seem to, have decided that China is more important than the ROC. Hong Xiaoju is another. When she was running for president in 2016, old KMT veterans were shocked to hear her refuse to talk about the ROC, since that would mean two Chinas. Zhang and Hong are not unconditionally blue. They are willing to be red if their loyalty to one China demands it. Zhu's insistence that he is true blue and that the KMT must not become little red is not mere rhetoric. He is fighting for the survival of the ROC. The danger is not that Zhang might win this election, since in this scenario, Zhu was confident of victory. The danger is that Zhang might lose honorably getting a lot of votes, a lot of respect, and set himself up as the front-runner in the next context. In other words, Zhang might follow the hand model. Zhu doesn't want to merely defeat Zhang, he wants to discredit Zhang. The point of calling Zhang red is to paint him as outside KMT values. Zhang's aggressive steps toward unification are not steps that the KMT that are not steps that the KMT can tolerate if it ever wants to win another election. So, the froze is only saying this is a possibility, but I suspect that a lot of it is true. It explains Jews' bizarre behavior better than simply fear of losing a KMT chair race could. Zhu has been spending a lot of time with the grassroots and knows full well that the majority of Taiwanese have no interest in being annexed by China, peacefully or not. Zhang, if he were to get his hands on the party, would utterly destroy it if he had the chance, with only the Central Standing Committee standing in his way. So, aside from Zhu's totally unexpected behavior, the debate was surprisingly informative, and a lot of interesting things came out. From Jiani Jiang's original flavor, 92 consensus, to Jiang Yajung's often curiously spot-on criticisms of the KMT mixed with a totally unelectable unification message, and a whole lot more. A bit lost in the Zhu Jiang fireworks was another topic that kept coming up over and over and over again by the candidates and those posing the questions alike party unity, and the possibility of the party splitting apart. To a certain degree, this is normal during a contentious internal party election, especially considering that three political parties that went on to some electoral success broke away from the KMT, the New Party, the People's First Party, and the Taiwan Solidarity Union. One of those who wrote an excellent piece on the race uh, in Mandarin was Albert Chu, who I've had on Current Affairs Taiwan before. Essentially, the thinking goes: if Jiang Yajong does win, and a big chunk of the part, uh, and a big part of the part of sorry, and a big chunk of the party will simply bolt. And why not? He's going to make the party unelectable. Another possibility, less talked about and probably less likely, is that the Deep Blues bolt if Chu wins. But I think that will only happen if they are pushed from the party first, which the Froze thinks could be a possibility if Chu wins. I think he may well be right, 
it would make a lot of sense for Jew to purge the party of the deep blues that give the party its bad reputation. That would bolster his own reputation with the public at large as being someone who can be trusted to defend the ROC, like the KMT of old. It's a strategy that would come with some risks, however. It would obviously alienate China, which, but that wouldn't be necessarily bad as that would only increase the KMT's electability. Another risk is that it would rip out chunks of the KMT's legislative caucus, as people like Wu Zihuai might leave with a purged. When I started this series, I described it as one of the most, if not most, important KMT race in modern history. After this second wild debate, I'm even more convinced that is the case. And I think the stakes are even more dramatic than I did back then. Now, Saturday is the KMT chair election. Let's see how it turns out. Zhu has taken some huge risks here, which could crush Zhang or backfire badly. The results are going to be fascinating. All right, be sure to hit like and subscribe. And of course, please join us as a patron on patreon.com slash Taiwan report. And be sure to tune in next time and we'll see how this election goes. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw. Hey, 